There's an old saying, which you may have heard, uh, that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, familiar with that saying. Um, we recognise, don't we, that often having power or having something that uh, can have, have influence over other people tempts us to become the worst versions of ourselves because those who have power are able to do what they want. Now, we can think of politicians here, obviously, uh, and we might think of examples we know of people who are immature and unloving in those roles who can do a lot of damage when they're elected to a position of authority and power. So we're thinking a bit about power today, though, but today we're thinking about what Paul says about the use of spiritual power and how Christians can use the gifts that God gives us in a way that they are intended to be used. I think this is what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 14. So just to recap, we're continuing our series today on this letter, 1 Corinthians, and what does it mean to be a Christian and to experience the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, in our lives? In the past couple of weeks, we've turned to the last section of this letter where Paul talks about how churches should deal with topics like worship, how to be a community of love, and with all the different gifts and experiences that the Holy Spirit brings to people when they're filled with his presence. How do we live that reality through? So in chapter 12, we looked at the different spiritual gifts that Paul describes there and the various ways that the Holy Spirit might manifest in our lives as, we, as he comes into us. Things like prophecy, tongues, healing, and different types of knowledge and understanding. And if you'd like to hear more of that, of a description of what these different gifts are, you can go back a couple of weeks in our YouTube channel and find the sermons on those chapters if you want to catch up. Last week, though, Jerome took us through the interlude in chapter 13, where Paul talks about love in this famous chapter, and reminds the Corinthians that the spiritual gifts that they have through the Holy Spirit are actually meaningless unless they are accompanied by love in the life of those who have them. But after that interlude, in chapter 14, which we've read a bit of today, Paul comes back particularly then to the issue of spiritual gifts. And he gives, I think, to the Corinthians a specific example of what does it mean to use these spiritual gifts according to the way of love that he's outlined in chapter 13. As the chapter opens, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And the gifts that he uses then as an example here to describe what does it mean to follow the way of love are the gifts of prophecy and tongues. So he thinks about prophecy and tongues. Now, why does he use these particular gifts as an example in this chapter? I think it's because these particular gifts and the way they can be used provide a window into what it means to show love as members of a community, as the body of Christ. In, with these two gifts, I think what Paul is saying here, there's a contrast between what we might call a personal or individual spirituality and a communal, corporate or body life spirituality. So in these passages, in this passage, they represent those two ideas. So in this passage, the gift of tongues, the way Paul talks about it, it represents a spiritual experience that we might have that is personal, it's individual, it's about building ourselves up in God through its exercise. And prophecy represents for him the kind of spiritual gift that only really works in relationship with other people and building them up in their faith. In verses 2 to 4, he says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. And he goes on in great detail for the rest of our reading and up towards, say, verse 25, um, about the difference between tongues and prophecy 
and the barriers that are in place for speaking in tongues to be a gift that could build other people up. Basically, his point is, and he uses a lot of examples to get this across, is that that kind of speech is not intelligible to other people. It's a private or foreign or spiritual language. It communicates between us and God, but it's meaningless to others who listen along. Therefore, the gift of tongues can't encourage other people. It can't teach them or inspire them or convict them or do anything that build others up. So if we wanted to express our gift of tongues as part of Paul's way of love that he's describing, it would mean they need to be interpreted by someone else first as they're being spoken. Or exercised very carefully, he talks a bit about that, so as to not to alienate or confuse other people, either other members of the church or those who are interested in learning more about Jesus. And so this is what Paul goes on to talk about between the, the end of chapter, verse 12 we read and the end of the chapter. So this is the, just the issues that come up with tongues in the use in the church. But prophecy, on the other hand, Paul says, well, this is a direct word that brings a message to people from God in a way that can be understood. These words are meant to be communicated to build other people up and bring them close to God. It's obvious then how prophecy could be used to show love to other people. Now that, just as a side, I think this is the main reason why tongues have generally fallen out of mainstream Christian worship over the years, not because they're wrong to use, but because of the difficulties in bringing them into worship in a helpful way. Um, so Paul here says that the gift of interpretation should be used if you're going to use tongues in worship. Uh, and in my experience, that gift is very rare. I've only personally met one person in 25 years of being a Christian who actually has that gift. So um, it can be hard to ex deploy get, uh, tongues in worship. So when he writes about the uses of these gifts in worship, I think there's probably a contrast then in Paul's mind. Um, he's thinking in terms of religious experience. So there's a contrast between what the church can be like, uh, a community where people build each other up in love, that's the spirituality that they're using, um, and the temples of the pagan religions in Corinth, where things were more impersonal, you were coming to sacrifice, it was about a personal relationship between you and whatever god you were worshipping rather than necessarily caring for others you were worshipping with. So there's a contrast there. Now, Paul is, of course, not at all disparaging the gift of tongues and those who experience it. In verse 18, he famously says to them, look, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, and I wish you all spoke in tongues. Um, his, his word that he speaks more in tongues than anyone else, it's almost a backhanded boast, uh, to puncture the pride of those in Corinth who thought they were having, uh, having the gift of tongues made them better than others. Paul says, I have a stronger gift than you do, and it does, I don't really make much of it because I'm more concerned about the way of love. But his, his experience and his concerns as an apostle lead him to value the expression of love among the church more than anything else, more than any spiritual experience, however powerful or glorious it might be to us. So for him, therefore, prophecy is a greater gift than tongues, it's more desirable to have. So that's the kind of overall thing that's happening here. That's why he's contrasting these two gifts. So, and they're just, it's just an example, I think, of what it means to show the way of love in worship. So I want to bring this topic back to us here now and think, well, what is this saying to us uh, as we gather in worship together? I think one, one question that this passage can bring up for us today as members of the church is, well, what kind of spirituality do we have and which do we uh, endorse as we worship? What's the connection between our personal relationship with God and our communal or corporate spiritual life together? How do we bring those two things together in balance? And I think this is an area where there are both temptations 
and opportunities in our culture today, maybe in this part of Melbourne more than in other places. Because on the one hand, you know, if you look around us, there is a widespread interest in spirituality and spiritual practices in our community, and it's a natural thing and it's a good thing for people to be interested in connecting with God. But one of the weaknesses I see in the kind of mind-body-spirit movement and the industry around it is an intense focus on personal and individual spiritual experiences. An attitude of consumption towards spiritual things for me, personally. We can literally buy spiritual experiences, therapies and activities that will build us up and create wellness and all the things that we desire. And that's not necessarily related at all to sharing anything with other people or to building other people up. So as Christians in our culture, we are influenced, of course, by the same mindset, the same advertising as other people, and we can be tempted to approach our spiritual life in the same way. Asking ourselves, well, what do I receive to build myself up spiritually? What sort of experience will improve the way I feel? What type of spiritual experience would I want to consume? And forget to ask alongside that, what do I give and what has God given me to build each other up? So that's one thing for us to look out for. I think Paul is pointing out that the Corinthians were in that danger. On the other hand, though, a direct experience of God is very important for us, isn't it? And if we only ever give out to build other people up and we never take in what God offers us, that leads to emptiness and weariness and burnout. And that's something that often happens in churches too. So for those who are weary, Jesus does offer rest for our souls. And so I think Paul would say, of course I want you to pray in tongues. I want you to experience the refreshment that comes from a direct connection with God. Pray to him personally. So Paul is not saying one or other type of these spiritual gifts are bad. Just that love is the goal of our life. Love is the goal of our life. Because God is love and that's what he made us for. So if we are tempted to drift towards selfishness, self-indulgence with regards to spiritual gifts and thinking just about what they do for us, that's not compatible with the way of love that Jesus showed us. So today maybe I'd encourage us to take away from this reading. It's maybe a good time to do an inventory of our own spiritual gifts and experience. The way that the life of the Holy Spirit is expressed through me, through you. Now, the gift of tongues that Paul talks about here, it's not something that everyone experiences and it doesn't need to be, though. But what it is, as a symbol, though, I think, is of our capacity as people made in the image of God to carry his spirit within us and to manifest that spirit internally and externally and to be a channel for the spirit in the world. Perhaps to use something of a a musical metaphor, I believe that God has made human beings to to be like something like a tuning fork. You know know what that is. Um, You know, we might just appear to be physical bodies, but you know, wish I had one. Uh, But I've got an electronic tuner, so you'll just have to imagine it in your head. You know, if you're a tuning fork, just just the right touch, you can resonate it. And human beings, I think, are made in such a way by God that with the right touch of his hand on us, we resonate to the frequency of the Holy Spirit. And things like tongues and other gifts of the Spirit flow out of us. It's like a musical tone. It's a natural and wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing, and it can enrich enrich us personally to experience that. But Paul is saying that's not the end. There are gifts like prophecy and others that build others up. It's like playing a musical instrument, like our band has done, so as to be heard by other people, to bring them joy, to be part of an ensemble or a band or an orchestra, to work together to make music as a community that expresses God's love. 
And so that's the higher way of love that he's talking about, and that's where prophecy comes into this. As he says at the end of our reading today in verse 25, this is what will happen if people come among you and this orchestra or you know, band of the Spirit is playing. People will say they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So as we gather in worship, whether we are here or we are in our own homes, it's good to ask what place do these greater gifts have in our life, the gifts of love? And what is God calling you to say or to do today that will build each other up in Jesus? I'm just going to pray to reflect on that and invite you to join me. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us the gifts of the Spirit to draw us closer to you and to build others up. We pray that you would refresh our souls by the gifts that draw us closer to you in personal prayer and worship. We also pray, though, that you would stir up in us the gift of love so that we can share that love with others in a way that builds them up. So I pray our community would be a place where people exclaim that God is among you. In Jesus' name, amen.